Money FM 89.3, the best of Saturday mornings. Steve Oaken and Angela Mancini joining us for our international news review. Good morning, everybody. How y'all doing? Good morning. Okay, good morning, GVZ. Good morning, Don Draper. And Thank you. great to have Angela here to class up the show. <laughs> well, I did wear a T-shirt because I, I don't have a, an election T-shirt or a Money FM T-shirt, but I... Like, well, you did, from you my, did class up the show. Yeah, yeah. He, he there you go, right? right? Definitely you know, that. All right, Steve, come on, let's get into it. How did it get it all wrong? How did you get it all so wrong? Oh. Well, like, the, the election ended up not being a referendum mm. on, an, on an unpopular president where most voters think the country is headed in the wrong direction, but it ended up being a choice. And I think the Republican governor of New Hampshire summed it up best. And he said the voters said, look, we can fix policy later. But we need to fix crazy now. Right. And so what happened? All of the crazies that got nominated by the Republicans lost. And it's because Donald Trump was so far out there. Chris Christie formed— Was it all all of them? Not all of them. All the crazies. All the crazies. All the crazies lost. And and what Chris Christie, the governor uh, of—the former Republican governor of New Jersey said, he said, look, Trump lost in 2018. Trump lost in 2020. Trump lost in 2021. Trump lost in 2022. We shouldn't be surprised. We need to go in a different direction. Now, that's the big question is, will the Republicans go in a different direction after a a, a midterm that they should have easily taken control of the House? And that's still even a little bit up for grabs and should have gotten the Senate back, and they won't. Wow. Okay, that's an opener. Yeah. Uh, well, I mean, Angela, what is your take on it, Angela? We've yeah. still got, just talking about the Senate for a second, we've still got three states to go. The runoff mm. could last as early as December. How has this election played out for you? Yeah, I think, so taking a step back, I think regardless of who actually wins in individual races, to me and actually to our clients, which have been coming to controllers, asking, even in the week ahead of the election, I had conversations with people where our house view was, we're not going to expect to see a lot of political violence on the day because... Because even though there's a lot of guns, there's a lot of far-right extremists, but there's no call to action by a leader, most likely on the day. And I had clients say to me, that's wrong. It's going to burn down. Wow. Really, really expecting a high amount of political violence, a high amount of voter intimidation, and a high amount of um, you know claims of claims of foul. Yeah. And even in close races, what we saw was clients conceded. Doctor Oz conceded, and so I think you know, kind of building on Steve's point, the takeaway here is toxic politics isn't working in the states. Candidates want to win. If the playbook of calling foul, throwing all the toys out, and whatever isn't winning, again, we may stay as the U.S. very divided. You know, very, you know, entrenched in the kind of cultural issues, guns, gods, God, gender, the rest. But the playbook of we're going to call foul the legitimacy of the process that everyone was so worried about. I think it's a bit of a referendum on that. Well, and that's people, great. Many people thought Joe Biden wasn't 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 taking the right step by talking about democracy being at risk and all of that. And there were other things he should have discussed. But, Angela, I just want to stay with you just for a moment on the gender issues, yep. abortion and, and rights and things like that, that people were not quite sure, you know, from the Democrat side, people thought those would be issues, but they weren't sure if the Republican voters or the uh, independent voters would grab onto those. What's your take on how important those issues were at the end of the day? I think they were important. I think they were, and Steve would have more of the, the actual data on it, but I think they were a rallying cry. They did get out the vote. What matters, as we know, in midterms is actually voter turnout. So I, I think they do matter. But I think, you know, what's interesting again here is, to, to Steve's point, like, the, the crazies didn't win. 
you know, we saw a situation where what ended up winning was the rule of law and politics and, you know, some kind of legitimacy. So the concerns are, again, the clients have and business has around, is the U.S. a political risk? Mm. We never thought we'd say that a couple of years ago, right? But that's receded a bit, you know, but it's not, you know, we haven't finished yet. They're still counting. But what's extraordinary is we may still end up with a Republican House and Senate. We may still, we don't know. And But having said that, this sense of palpable relief across the electorate and the business community, uh, you know, and, and Rupert Murdoch has spoken, right? Toxic Trump. And, you know, if you, mm-hmm. if you look at the New York Post, the Wall Street Journal, and Fox News, which I did yesterday, the ones he owns, it's all unanimous. It's basically, you know, he, Trump, Trump is a loser. We're stepping away from that, vol- that volatile, you know, really inflammatory politics. And that's a good thing, regardless of the policies that come next. Steve, 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 when Steve, when, when yeah. democracy was on the ballot, mm. democracy won. So, yeah. for example, in New Hampshire, you have a mainstream Republican governor wins easily. You have a crazy get nominated for the Senate who's a Republican. He loses badly. So that when, when democracy was on the ballot, democracy wins. When abortion was on the ballot, abortion won. And you can look at Pennsylvania and New York as, as an example. Mm-hmm. Pennsylvania, you could have had a, a Republican governor, a Republican legislature that could have taken away abortion rights in Pennsylvania. They all lost. New York, where no one was concerned about abortion rights because you have a Democratic supermajority in the legislature. So abortion wasn't on the ballot Got in it. New York. Republicans did very well in New York because they knew abortion wasn't at stake there. So in those races where abortion mattered, Michigan, Pennsylvania, Arizona, then it helped the Democrats greatly. And so that was what really the takeaway was. Yeah. It was very idiosyncratic, and it helped the Democrats. It probably kept the Democrats – the, the Democrats will hold the Senate, and the Democrats did way better in the House than they should have. And part of it was democracy, and part of it was abortion, and part of it was Trump, which kind of hmm. over-encapsulates both of them. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Steve, Angela talks about political risk and the – potential possibility of political violence. I saw some guys being interviewed on BBC and they would come for your your word, the crazy element, and they said, if the result doesn't go our way, it's clearly fixed and we, <laughs> we want a civil war. Now, they are the crazy element. The point I'm making is, is there any risk of that? Will they accept the result this time around? Has the crazy element been neutralized. There is less risk for sure coming out of 2022. And and part of it is look, Donald Trump is sui generis. You had all these candidates try to follow Trump's lead. They can't. Donald Trump, and he may not be able to do it anymore, but Donald Trump could talk about the big line. He could get people out to vote and he could get all these lawsuits and he could get insurrectionists to come to the Capitol. But all these other people can't. They're not Donald Trump. And so that risk is weighed down. You didn't see any violence. However, there are still probably about 150 House Republicans who who denied Joe Biden's certification last time around Mm -hmm. and said they would do it again. So we are not out of risk when it comes to the presidential election. Most of the election deniers who ran for secretary of state in the individual states who run elections, most of those election deniers lost. You saw them lose in states like, um, you know, I think in, in Arizona and in and, and Michigan and Pennsylvania. But you may not see them lose in Nevada. So we're not out of the woods yet, but we're, we're, we took a big sigh of relief as a country. And this is a, you know, the, the D's won, whether you're a big D Democrat or a small 
D, democracy, both of those won in, in 2020. Yeah. Angela, let's, let's move this forward now to business. And we assume that there's going to be roughly a split Congress. Yeah. Uh, we might get one or two either way or a few either way. But generally, it's going to be a split Congress um, uh, from what we know today, which means in, pa- in the past, gridlock at the very, probably mostly gridlock, not getting things done and, and, and uh, everybody you know, playing nice and trying to compromise. What do you see the signs of possible headwinds for business in Asia based on what may happen in the U.S. Congress for the next two years? Yeah, well, definitely we're going to have gridlock. Um, I think everyone expected that coming in, and I think the Biden administration has been planning for that. And as we know, whenever we have a divided Congress and in a second, you know, after the midterms, the president tends to turn much more to foreign policy. And we're going to see that. In fact, we're going to see that. I know we're going to speak about it in a few minutes with the G20 kicking off the next few days. But as it relates to business, I mean, a couple things. Again, the overlay I'd say here is the reduction in political risk in the U.S. and the reduction of uncertainty and the reduction of potential erratic policy getting so the fact that candidates are not we hope going to continue to follow the playbook of let's win elections on really let's you know, blow everything let's up, blow right? everything up yeah, the yeah. fact that's not what's happening now in the states is very very good for business here again you can have a conversation around policy and export controls and you know, what we need to do to control inflation but you know underpinning all of it is if we're kind of back to some sense of normalcy in politics in the u.s if we are um, that's really, really good for business, right? So now we have mm. to see what the U.S. is going to do, you know, with the divided Congress. I think a couple things uh, to think about, as I mentioned earlier before we came on the show, I was on a call uh, a few days ago with Jake Sullivan, the U.S. National Security Advisor, and it was an, an on-the-record call. People can look it up on the Council on Foreign Relations website. But it was fascinating because he said he's the first National Security Advisor probably in history to think about supply chains Every single day, <laughs> critical minerals, semiconductors, mm. electric vehicle batteries and things like that. Right. So it's that's the one area. So if we think about policy related to supply chain that hits square in the mark, the intersection for the U.S. of national security and economic policy, industrial policy. And I think that's that's we're going to see, you know, continued yeah. press yeah. on that. One big exception. Yep. One big ex- agree with that. But one big exception. And that's the, the debt limit. Yeah. Right. The 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 mm. the the. the there's a rule of law in the United States that the, the, the U.S. can only go into so much debt, and then Congress has to raise the debt ceiling. And always that debt ceiling gets raised, except one time it looked like it wasn't, and the U.S. got downgraded, and it sent the global economy into, into tremors. Mm. And now, with the Republicans controlling the House, if they do, and it looks like they will, if the Republicans control the House, they say, we will only raise the debt ceiling if you, Joe Biden, cut entitlement spending, cut Social Security, cut Medicaid, not going to happen. And so the Republicans are going to hold the global economy hostage for non-related policy goals that they have. And if that happens, and if the United States looks like it could default on its debts, that will have massive consequences. So that's the number one thing that I'm going to be watching in what we call the lame duck session of Congress. So between now and when the new Congress comes in and the Democrats control both the House and the Senate, will the Democrats get a debt extension through Hmm. to stave off the Republicans? And even most 
thinking Republicans say, let's get this done in the lame duck because we can't afford to have the country default. Donald Trump, when he was president, the debt ceiling was raised all the time. This is not and shouldn't be a partisan issue, but could have huge implications for everybody in the world if we, the United States, default. And that, unfortunately, is is a thinkable possibility. Right we'll now. just play yeah. that out for the benefit of our listeners. Mm. What are the repercussions if that happens in layman's terms for Singapore and Asia? No, anybody who, who's holding U.S. debt doesn't get paid. And most governments hold U.S. US treasuries. US treasuries. Yeah. So if the, if the government can't pay its obligations to those countries and, and, and borrowers, it has huge implications because governments rely on that. The, the dollar is the standard. And if that goes away, what happens to the global economy? Everybody trusts the United States to pay its debts. And now we're not going to do our full, you know, we're not going to have the full faith and obligation of, of credit from the United States. Unthinkable, except now it's not. So a huge issue, especially if you get a Republican majority with just four or five seats to lose, and there's enough MAGA Republicans who say, we don't care if we shut down the global economy. We need to think about what's happening here in the United States when it comes to entitlement reform. The only thing I'd add, though, there is the political side of that as well, which is we are now more or less China, maybe China's side, although China's using post-COVID. So the number one issue that voters are caring about, besides, you know, along with democracy, is inflation in the economy. The number one issue that the G20 is going to focus on, among you know, aside from climate change, is the inflation inflation in the economy. So I just wonder if, you know, if the MAGA Republicans saw that the playbook of really toxic politics blow it all up isn't mm. working, you know, how can they? press for something that would blow. I mean, Steve's exactly right. It's a huge risk. But the likelihood, I would argue, would be smaller because I think the Republicans now are seeing they have to deliver something for the voters besides just mm. blow it all up. And yeah. the economy was the one economy. of the key issues, right? And I bet that, you know, again, if the if the seats they hold, the majority they hold is lower, there's perhaps more chance for some kind of so, Steve, so negotiation the, on that. What would be the priority of Republicans in the next Congress? Doing something for the voters that they campaigned on or making the Biden administration look bad so that they got a better chance of the White House in 2024? When, when it, there, there is no Republican Party. That's the, that you've okay. got to get, get out of that mindset, right. right? So if, if, the, if the Republicans end up holding 215, 220 seats, right, actually more like 220, they can only afford to lose five votes. And so you can have – forget the Republican Party. If you have five people and there are more than five who don't care about the global economy in the Republican Party, mm-hmm. Marjorie Taylor Greene would be you know, a point, you know, point person number one. They can hold the entire Republican Party hostage. So you can't be thinking, oh, well, the Republicans think this. There is no Republicans. It's five people. Eight people, ten people who can control it. What do they think? That is why they're, I, I think, I don't think the United States is going to default because I think they're going to, there's enough Republicans who say, let's get this fixed before we take over. Because right. after we take over, we know we can't control our caucus. Yeah. But to Angela's point, does that have to change? I see post-election a real existential crisis here, not just for US politics, but for the world. They cannot keep getting caught up in what would be seen to be petty domestic issues. Semiconductors, supply chains, the rise of AI, climate change. These have to be front and center now beyond the petty internal squabblings of the Republican Party, because otherwise the planet is going to suffer. The global economy is going to suffer. Are we going to have to see a shift away from that with the Republican Party? 
That's the question. What's, what is Donald Trump going to announce next week? And what's going to what's what's the politics of, of the Republican Party going to be? And then if he announces for his, his his presidency next week, we don't know. He said he's got a major announcement coming. We don't think it's going to be that there's going to be a new like Trump hand sanitizer brand coming out. <laughs> right? So he's going to announce for president. And if he if he does, then what is that shake up? And then you've seen. For the past, you know, since, 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 you know, since he became president, the Republicans in the Congress are afraid to take him on, with very few exceptions. And those who do get kicked out of the Republican Party like Liz Cheney. So are they all going to go along with the same type of America first, make America great again? We don't care about the world. We only care about what happens within our, our borders. Then we're in trouble. So we have to watch this. But Angela, to your point, it won't work, will it? Supply chain, semiconductors, these are real present in the now issues. Yeah. I agree. But I'd add add something here, which is I think the U.S. voter doesn't care. I mean, they don't care about foreign policy. They probably don't Um, care about, you know, lithium and electric vehicles. They care very much with the price of their Thanksgiving turkey is going to be next week Mm -hmm. or in the next couple of weeks. And the price of gas. Inflation, very, very much. I think they're watching that closely. And, you know, again, I think – you know, we shouldn't have so much of our political discourse run by Rupert Murdoch. But having said that, it is. And – He's spoken, and again, I, I just think that the narr- the media narrative in the sh- in the U.S. has shifted away from mm-hmm. Trump. Fox News last night had a commentator on who said, literally, it's okay for maybe it's the time for us to look, quote unquote, at the good policies Trump, you know, pressed, and move on to a different a different message and reach a broader base. So I do think there's going to be a bit of a shift in the narrative. But just quickly back to, Glenn, your point on what does this mean for businesses and what they can do. I mean, because I think it's important to make a note there. What we're talking to clients about is there's always going to be noise, right? It's either North Korea, it's U.S.-China tensions, mm. it's the U.S. election. The point is how do you parse through that? And that's then looking very specifically at your sector, your business operations, perhaps even your product, because if you're selling diapers, that's a lot less you know, problematic than if you're selling a specific semiconductor and the rest. But you know, looking at that actual you know, business application for you, mapping mm-hmm. out the scenarios, mm-hmm. looking at the triggers, because actually – for some businesses, 90% of this noise doesn't matter. I was having lunch with a client last week who's opening a factory in China this month because the way that the, yeah. the cards lay out for him is that that makes sense for them. So I do think there is, you know, there's broad business impacts here, but also very specific yeah. ones. For our last uh, few minutes, we've got to uh, move on now, and we'll come back to election madness uh, in weeks to come, of course. Um, the G20 summit is starting in Bali this week. Uh, it is, uh, by all accounts, probably the most strained G20 uh, conference. Um, 19 advanced emerging economies and the EU uh, are coming together Vladimir Putin has said he will not attend in person. That was a big question, uh, whether he would or not, but he may uh, attend virtually in some sessions. Steve, what are you going to be looking for as they all gather in Bali this week? The most important is is the the Biden-Sea meeting. I mean, the the U.S. uh, tensions are so high right now. This is the first in-person meeting they've had since since President Biden um, uh, took office. They've met Previously, and so we're you know the the real question is can and they, they're they're expected to meet on Monday they, they're meeting on Monday and yeah. and the question is will they be able to set a floor under the deteriorating relationship that's oh, this, the expectations are so low <laughs> can we just keep things from getting worse and if we can meet that that will kind of be a victory there's so much to talk about mm. you know that's on the agenda Taiwan. Russia. Oh, nuclear war. Maybe mm. that might come up, right? North Korea. A bit. North Korea. <laughs> tacky. So there's so much yeah, to talk about. Yeah. Just 
set a floor. If we could do that, I think that, it, and Angela will go much deeper on this, businesses will have a, a sigh of relief that it's not going to get worse. What are you yeah. looking for, Angela? So I'd, I'd add to that. I mean, just to build on C's point and then more broadly, you know, Let's remember, both Biden and Xi are off almost immediately the back of really intense domestic political processes, right? So they finally have at least a a window, a a tiny sliver of sunlight of breathing room for both of them, Hmm, right? So we see this, you saw last night, overnight, the announcements about the potential, you know, or the, the easing of COVID restrictions in China. Just a little bit, but again, past that domestic process, now there's a little bit more movement uh, that you can have, probably same on the U.S. side. So I think Steve's right. I think it's it's great they're talking. I think, you know, the G20, people say, is the G20 even, you know, kind of worth doing or what, what really comes out of big multilateral meetings like that? And there are some things we can talk about in a second, but the main thing, I think, are the bilaterals. And remember, I don't think we'd see Xi and, and Biden have the opportunity to meet if it weren't for the G20, they wouldn't they're not in a position to be able to reach out to each other, you know, unilaterally to, to ask that. So I think it's good they're meeting. And they'll be meeting in Jakarta. Actually, they won't be meeting in Bali. They're in Jakarta at the presidential palace. Yeah, I believe so. Yeah. yeah. So it's it's setting a floor. Yeah. It's in, in, in it's as again, as this, as this call we had with uh, the national security advisor, Jake Sullivan, as he said recently, there's a lot of conversations that are happening uh, between China and the U.S. that are we don't know about in the media, right? Sure. That they're unlike the Trump years, Back where channel. everything yep. was happening and you knew yep. everything when it when it was the minute it was happening. And so he he had cited conversations they were having about um, Ukraine. Also, he they'd had mm-hmm. them with North Korea. So actually, being able to talk privately off the right, you know, off media about what those red lines are and just being able to put, you know, a bit of a box around that to reduce risk more broadly. Yep. So Steve, finally, the red wave didn't happen. Uh, Ukrainian troops are making tremendous progress into Kherson. The COVID restrictions are easing in China. Might we be cautiously optimistic about this G20 summit? I, I mean, cautiously optimistic that we can try and, and, and put guardrails around all the different crises that make up the poly crisis that we're, we're facing. But look, we, we still have so many flashpoints, and Taiwan is out there. And, you know, Angela mentioned the National Security Advisor, Jake Sullivan. As he was briefing ahead of the trip, he said, unprecedented, he said that the U.S. government will keep Taipei informed about the upcoming meeting. Now, of course, the U.S. always kept Taiwan informed whenever sure. there were meetings in the past, but they never said it publicly. Mm. So now China comes out and says, this is egregious. You're violating the one China principle. <laughs> and so you have so many flashpoints in the relationship mm. that that I, I will look, if you want the optimism, if out of this meeting, we set a floor and, and the U.S. and China say, we're going to resume climate talks mm. because it's in both of our national interests and, of course, the world's interest for the two biggest emitters to be talking to one another, that would be a reason to get a little bit more optimism coming out of the G20. Also. Yeah, and I'd add a couple Less more yeah, yep. optimist, optimistic points more broadly. <clears throat> in a, conversations with some CEOs and CFOs this week at Big hmm. Roundtable, right. some, of the, some of the potential issues were don't miss the potential upside if we do see some solution to Russia-Ukraine coming sooner than we thought and if we see the U.S. dodge a recession. So I leave that on an optimistic note. There we go. We'll hope for the best. We'll, of course, keep our eyes on it. And uh, thanks to both of you. Uh, thanks for joining us today. We'll enjoy having you guys back again soon. Absolutely. Thank you. Thank you. To listen to more great interviews, download our podcasts at moneyfm893.sg or download our audio app. That's A-W-E-D-I-O. Available on Google Play or the App Store.